Podcraft. So welcome back to the CBI, uh, the Craft Beverage Institute of the Southeast, consuming the craft studios. I have a special guest with me today, Jen Courier. Hi, guys. Graduate of the program, Maven at Wicked Weed Brewing Company. What do you do there? Maven and Maverick, I would say. Oh, I'm, I like I'm, the I'm, M&M. pretty, I'm pretty wild card. M&M. You are kind of wild sour, card. sour and wild cards. <laughs> so you work in the uh, the sour production facility. I do for Wicked Weed. So you you make sour beers, and that's I do. completely unique as opposed to some of the people on the clean side of things. Sure, and I mean I'm screwed for life. Like I can't make clean beer. One, <laughs> any brewery I walk into is immediately just fucked, and then oh great. Yeah, you go back. We don't. I changed. I changed boots. I'm wearing okay, good, some good, good. Uh, Uggs from high school for you today. <laughs> the fact that you can still fit into them makes me happy. Yeah, my feet haven't grown very much since high school. I don't know if you've had that same experience. I have actually. My feet have grown since high school. I feel like that's a condition you might want to check out. No, I should Perhaps probably get that. No, but as you, as you get as you age. Because I am, I also weigh more than I did in high school, surprisingly enough. I know when you're looking at me. I think that's global warming. <laughs> yeah. Let's blame it on that. Yeah. And um, donuts. Okay. Global warming and donuts. But well, I, it, it has to be warm to cook the donuts. Well. And you, to proof them, obviously. And they're delicious. And that's another problem. But if you weigh more, your feet will actually spread out and get bigger as, you're, as you age. Oh, that sounds terrible. Because the ligaments and tendons, everything inside, just they're, they relax. Wow, learning something new. Yeah, well, that's part of the Craft Beverage Institute of the Southeast. It's about education. So I've actually gone up a shoe size because I'm old and and giant <laughs> <laughs> and fat. That's great. Well, the uh, anyway. That, so back to sour production. Yeah. Uh, you make sour beers for a living now. After I do. Um, yeah, I I don't know how. I mean, it was like an entirely kind of random specialization for me. Uh, I was working at the Funkatorium, which is our... But you've enjoyed sour beers for a long time. Oh, it's, yeah. I wouldn't say it was random. I mean, yeah. you have a passion for it. And and one of the things that people tell me all the time, and I know from talking to you, is your palate is amazing. Well, and I think uh, one of the reasons that I loved craft beer in you know the first place, when I first started homebrewing at 19, um, was be- because there is this huge like culinary aspect to craft beer. No, it's very creative. Like you can, you know, pound. We were just talking about hazy IPAs. Yep. Pound those, whatever, like try and pair them with food. But but sour beer really does have uh, this incredible kind of diversity um, and, and it's eclectic. And you can really draw different things out of the same beer. There are so many different styles just within that category in general. Um, I think that it's a really creative outlet for well, a craft producer and all of the things i mean on you can't name all of the things that you've put into a beer now oh god and i mean like just with just fruits yeah you can't i mean it, it there's a list that just keeps on going because as creative as you guys are over there it's a constant like a new thing going in or or a blend or right. we can get this fruit let's try this or well, do that and, and it's we've also i feel like uh because we're now i'm Sure, you've seen you grocery shop. You just told us that you've gained weight, so we know you eat. Uh, no, I have people. I, I'm okay. a big um, celebrity Lida. podcaster it's now. Lida, so I'm a big shopping. deal. So I have people that shop for me. Well, uh, <laughs> we just started doing these four pack, twelve ounce uh, Brett Farmhouse beers. 
Mm. Um, and so right now I think uh, out in distro, out in distro, it might just be a uh, Labonte pair, but then we've already done Firm de Chien, which is a Ballotin and Montmorency cherry beer. Um, Working with pears. Let's go back there just real quick. Fuck a pear. Yeah. So they have sorbitol. They're, they're, they're terrible to work with. Sure. Why, why pick pears? Um, I love pears. I think they're delicious. So, Beautiful tannins. They can make an amazing wine. They can make an amazing peri, but they're such a pain in the the fanny well, to yeah, work with. Yeah. And and for us, um, we we source pears when they're underripe. So you that, have to. that takes a lot of... And, and I mean, we want to put them in beer underripe. Sure. Um, and that's because, I mean, flavor-wise, we're getting more bitterness. Um, it's going to play with Brett bitter because we can't... You know, we're not trying to make these super hoppy out of balance Brett beers. Um, although, you know, I'd like to, well, and uh, pears are out from the inside out. So it's a hard, it's a very right. time sensitive thing when they, when you get, when you get them to your facility Well, and we're doing, so, I mean, flavor wise, I, I trust our beer and I trust our culture at this point. Sure. Like I, I really don't have to worry about, um, what flavors I'm going to get from pear apples actually are a lot more wonky for us and, and Brett and sour beer to use, um, obviously we make cider, uh, but for some reason we've, we've had some pretty terrible luck using apples in our beer. But there's but, so many different varieties of apples. There's less varieties of pears commercially available on the market. Yeah, is that part and, of the consistency or is that well, just... Well, I, I think it's part of consistency. Um, we like... Uh, I, I, I think it's an elevated Brett beer. Okay. You know, like like a pear is a delicate fruit. It's not something, you know, an, an apple a day keeps a doctor away. An apple is very run-of-the-mill, just... It is what it is, whereas sure. pear is seen as kind of, again, a more like culinary fruit. Okay. I can um, see that. And and I think it's that, but I also think... So you're uh, appleist. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> apple, absolutely. Um, I see what you did there. Well, and a couple, uh, a couple other reasons I think that we use pears. So we're normally using Anjou pear. Okay. Um, and Anjou, as well as just the word pear, really lend themselves to being used in puns. For example, Jeff Howard, you know, I'm doing pretty well today, Anjou. Uh, Puff is doing great. That's great. It's weird that you called me Jeff, actually. Was it? <laughs> yeah. That's who you are in my mind. Well, fair enough. Uh, Sorry, autocorrect. <laughs> <laughs> New phone, who dis? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so we've, we've done these farmhouse uh, beers in four packs. Um, and because we're doing larger batches of those, I mean, Bonte Pear, yeah, bottoms up. Bonte Pear, uh, we're now, do I mean, it's 180 barrel batches. We're putting it in these, you know, 200. How many pears go in that? Um, the number of pears, I cannot tell you. No, but like pound wise, I guess. Yeah, so <laughs> One, the last time that two. we fruited Bonte Pear, it, I think it was a 60 barrel batch of it. And so that's 1,500 pounds. Um, Holy it's, crap. It's, it's like a pound per gallon, essentially. That's so much work. Yeah. Um, and I mean, a 60 barrel batch is is a full eight hour shift of just fruiting. And it's not fruit processing that's holding us up at this point. We have an incredibly awesome uh, specialized tank that I called the Smoothie King. Yeah. That was yeah. with the V. The kids, the, no, let me I, get closer I, to the mic. Smoothie smooth. King. I, I'm smooth. Yeah. I got you. Um. And so we, we've started using that and I think uh, Deutsche Bev outside of, or in Charlotte, outside of Charlotte, somewhere near Charlotte, um, they like tested the crushing capability of that with a whole pineapple. So it can handle pears. Uh, but pears, when you get them um, in the grocery store or maybe your family is weird and like sends uh, produce in between relatives around the holidays. 
Um, yeah, because so that's if you a ever thing. get a, oh, yeah. a box of pears that's wrapped in that paper, then they're all stickered. So that's how pears come. So you have to unwrap and de-sticker and de-stick. But those stickers are actually uh, they edible. Are. They are. Yeah. Um, I, I, you love this, don't you? I do. I, you like, I don't know how we landed on Bonte pear, damn it. Um, Suck. I'm like readjusting myself in the seat. Just angry. Like, uh, how does my voice sound with my teeth clenched? Um, so, so yeah, we, we do D sticker. Um, I always like to kind of comment on the lovely job that whoever or whatever machine so did it putting the stickers on the sure. pairs because sometimes you'll get a pair that has one sticker sometimes or, you'll get a pair that has zero stickers and sometimes you'll get a pair that has like seven stickers yeah we don't have to talk about pairs and stickers anymore i said stickers like seven times but Should it's I keep doing it? super so i can just imagine people sitting around a table peeling stickers off a pair oh it's like sitting on buckets hunched over like neat that I mean, sounds yeah so the glamorous job it is glamorous of of Sticker removal on pears is something that you would recommend for everyone to do just once to appreciate the beer that's inside of that bottle. Absolutely. Um, so next, next, next fruit. Next, you have fruit. your pear. And so we've then done you've... pear, um, and the other, the other uh, four pack that's out now is Garçon de Ferrum, and so that's a peach Brett farmhouse beer. Enchanté. Um, it's really, really killer. Uh, and so we're actually we're about to package another, you know, 180 barrel, 200 barrels of that. So do you get a peach puree, or do you have to de-stone them? We we do peach puree. Okay. Um, and that's coming from Titan Farms in South Carolina, and so oh, wow. they're very close. Um, yep. I mean, we've been on like it's weird to say field trips, but we we've been on field trips <laughs> down there. Um, you guys pack your backpacks and you get on the bus and coolers. We pack coolers. Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so we've been down there and, and worked with those guys a little bit about, um, kind of sourcing for sugar content. You know, we, we really liked this one beer that was produced in 2016. Let's go back and look at our notes. Okay. These are the varietals. This is bricks, you know, like what, how can we get close to yeah, that yeah, magic yeah. again? Um, and so that, that's been fun. And I think we're just getting closer and closer the more that we make those. But, but, but putting those things into production with all those variables have to be staggering, like just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and I do think that like sour beer um, is a little bit more, I mean, it is similar to wine. Uh, it's obviously a malt product, but we're using sure. a lot of fruit. Um, there, there's always going to be variants. And mm -hmm. I think that you're creating vintages of the same product. Which makes sense. And I also like creating consistent beer is fucking useless. Like you need to create not like it shouldn't taste the same as the last batch. It needs to taste better than the last batch. That there, That's the key. And, and I think sour beer, we have a little bit more wiggle room to do that because we're not producing these beers back to back to back to back. No. Um, it's okay. We did 200 barrels of it now. And then in a couple months, we'll do another 200 barrels and, you know, try and try modify to do process. Like, yeah, like exactly. to do it better, sure, yeah. to coax this flavor or that flavor out more. You brought up peaches and I there did. is something in front of you that I would like to taste because that was uh, by design, so to speak. Would you like to taste sure, I would some love more? To, because I would you appear to, to have tasted all of yours already. <laughs> it's medicinal. Oh, yeah. um, you realize that this whole podcast is just another reason for me to drink at work, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. I know anytime I get invited back here, it's because you're thirsty. 
<laughs> it's not the only reason. You're a fantastic wealth of knowledge. You've, oh, uh, yeah. you, and, and I appreciate you come talking to students and, and sharing some of the stuff that you've learned. It's amazing to see some of the alums now come back uh, like yourself and share some of the knowledge. So, so give this a try. Okay. Um, you, you had mentioned peaches was kind of tips my hand and tips my hat at this, uh, this particular product. I was going to guess peach or apple. It, it is a hundred percent peach based. The nose throws me off. Well, it is young. Yeah. Um, and that's a problem with it because we haven't had a chance to, uh, force some of the esterification reactions that we're looking for. The, I think the flavor is, is, is good. The flavor is nice. I think you get peach in the flavor. So what it is, is 100% peach brandy. Yeah. So one of our sponsors is Danny McConnell from McConnell Farms down in Hendersville. Shout out to Danny. Uh, donated, hey Danny. Yeah. Donated a bunch of freshly pressed peach juice. Wow. And we turned it into wine and I drank a bunch of the wine for the students, as you know, and you've seen me do. Oh, yeah. For the kids. And then we were like, wow, we should really concentrate this. But how do we do that? Well, we have a still here and we put it through the still for safety. Mm-hmm. Um well, and it's, you know, shelf life. Well, thank you. Uh, and then we added some French oak to it. And it is a little bit young. Uh, the tannins need to mellow out. And I think we could do some things with microoxygenation and kind of expedite some of these reactions I'm looking for. I agree with you. The nose needs to, uh, to mellow quite a bit. But once you get behind the nose and you get some of that sweet, like, peach essence, I really think that this is a viable option. Uh, some of these fruit like fruit brandies and fruit edivives that we've been kind of experimenting with. Botanist and Barrel just released a peach wine. Yeah. So or I'm, at least it just got released in town. Like a peach brandy. Yeah. yeah. People are definitely, I think, getting into it. Um, I feel like my uh, work thus far, every time I taste something, I'm thinking, well, what can I add to this? Because well, that's your job, though. Yeah, and and I mean, it's not it's not necessarily spinning gold. You know, you're starting out with a great product. Like, there's nothing wrong with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the that freshly pressed peach juice. Um, I think what are uh, what's the turnaround on peach trees? After how many seasons did they? Roughly like ten. Really, I thought yeah. it was much less than that. No, I mean, they're they're going to really take about three years to come to maturity. Okay. And then 10 years, their their yields are going to start to go down after that. Well, see, that what I would do with this is uh, see if they have any peach wood lying around mm. and throw that in here. You bet. Toast it up, smoke it yeah, up. Yeah, a yeah, little yeah. Pea, no, a little peach. Pe- yeah, I love that. Smoky, not peach. No, I could but. definitely get behind that. Yeah. What we've done with some of our apple brandies was add cherry wood, which yeah. brings out this beautiful, beautiful cherry essence. Uh, it Partly due because I... I didn't have any applewood seasoned at the time, but uh, I would love to to age this on. And the other wood I wanted to try this on was pecan. Okay. So I it mean, that's add, very southern of you. Well, I am becoming a southern gentleman. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. We we've done. Uh, it was a collaboration we did with Burial four years ago. <laughs> um, you drank. It's fine. I think it was four years ago. Uh, it was called Nectarphilia. And that one, I think, was peach and peach wood. Nectarphilia. It's kind of a nasty... It's a pretty disgusting name. No, it's... it's but I also just named... Uh, where We sent up a cask for Blue Points, like big cask festival. Uh, and Andrew Zinn, who's head of sour production, he and I were coming up with a name. He told me about 30 minutes ago. So came up with on the drive over here, Pet Brett. Oh, nice. Because, it's you know, it's a Brett beer cask. Like yeah. Pet Nat or uh, Pet Danone. I gotcha. Because I'm assuming carb level 
No, Petillon. Yeah. Lightly sparkling. Yeah. The French. So Pet Brett. No, this is nice. I think it's young. And I think as it ages in that uh, aroma settles down a little bit. Yeah. It is a little bit uh, harsh in the nose. And there needs to be more acidification that happens. If we can get a little... Uh, we've, we've taken an aquarium pump and oxygenated it this that way. This sounds fishy. No. <laughs> what? I just <laughs> didn't... Uh, so we've actually helped expedite some of the esterification reactions that would happen naturally in a barrel. Or um, in an aquarium. Or in an aquarium. <laughs> sure. Depending on how much wood you have in your aquarium. Shout out to all the driftwood collectors out there. I mean, that's a very small... It's a job. It's a thing, I would think, isn't it? No, you're looking at me I like, feel like I, you've been I, scrolling I through. Nose? You've been you have a you've been scrolling through Pinterest too much. No, I, well, that's really ruined the pallet industry. I'll tell you that. Yeah, everyone's making stuff out of pallets. That being said, what do you think of it? I mean, what are you tasting aside from? Certainly, it's peach. It's the the nose is a little fingernail polish, maybe a little acetone. But yeah, it, it needs to relax. It needs time to age. I I like uh so. Obviously, aroma we've discussed, but it, you're right; it is getting better. It's it's blowing off. But then it um, takes a bit. I would have loved to have put it in a blender before you got here and really degassed it quite a bit, because or it's like been, you know what you need in here is one of those Jimmy Buffett margarita machines. You could have funny done you that. say that. I just got a gelato machine. Class, class, class. <laughs> you uh, know, for class to sure. uh, to understand the uh, the making of the slushy, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. slushy. Um. Aroma, and then I'm I'm not super into the finish on this either. Um, it's tannic, but like I mean, I know you proved it down. It's it's tannic. It's hot and a little uh, like I feel a little scratchier than when I started. Well, it's also you're on the radio, so you're trying to bring out that radio voice. That's what happens. Trust me. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it's it's nice. It's not, it, 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 like I said, it's young. It needs more time. And next time you show up, we'll try it again or we'll try something else, something that's been aged a little bit longer and we'll go from there. But I mean, you're, it's super like bright, fresh peach right in the middle. Which I'm trying to capture and bring out to the forefront. And I think if I can give it a little bit more time to relax and degas some of the things I don't want and be very, very slow and deliberate with how we capture and keep that peach essence, we'll see what happens. I think you got to throw it on peachwood. I would love to get my hands on some peachwood. I really thought that the turnaround on on peach trees was a lot shorter. You might be right. Wise. I mean, I can call Danny. Danny will know. Should we call him now? We we could, but Let's he probably not. he's busy. He won't answer. Uh, well, we I, have, I did a podcast actually with Danny. We talked about how they're new, like growing apple trees now. They're doing it in a trellis system, very similar to grapes. Cool. And the yield in the trellis system is so much higher than the traditional way that they're doing it. Well, and I imagine that they start uh, they start fruiting earlier because they're not super concerned about growing up very quickly. Right? No, it's yeah, it's like branching out, and it, it's it's an interesting. So, so everyone listening right now, you have this this look at you right now because you brought me something for booze clues, I and did. so we just did booze clues. Uh, traditionally, I, I pour the guest something to drink from our, our stores or something from the area, and you have brought something for me to drink. I have, and so, but it's it's important that you watch it come out of the growler. <laughs> Is this what did you make like a cement mixer? Is it? If I could, I would. Okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm hoping that. She does what I want her to. Okay. Okay. So she's pouring the uh, the growler out 
It is a thick, viscous liquid. It is uh, dark in color. It has actually got some some. There's a lot of body to whatever she's pouring. Do you know what that body is? I have no idea. Why don't you smell it? Give it a little taste. Okay. So swirling it in the glass, it is oh <laughs> good gravy. I'm gonna get awfully charming. Uh, I'm gonna worry warn you ahead of time. Um, it is definitely it. It's there's a uh, some roasted barley or chocolate or something in there. There's some oak to it as uh, wood to it as well. I uh wow. It's still pretty clean. That's a uh, that viscosity is PDO. Really? Yeah, she's she's sick. Yeah, she's definitely got some legs to it. Uh, it's it's. Oh, there. <laughs> there's some things on the back side of it now yeah. that just kind of come up and. Um, don't get me wrong. I've had a lot of brandy. <laughs> no. But there is that. There's some. Uh, <coughs> yeah. So some that's uh, that that's just a kinda... really young. Um, Black Angel, which is kind of our flagship yeah. sour beer. So, uh, essentially a sour, um, I'm going to call it, in the making. I'm going to call it a sour black ale. Sure. Uh, sure. It's, it's not, not super true to, to any stout or porter, but, um, Brett primary. Okay. Uh, for a week or so. And then that got racked over into secondary tanks, but it is like the first leg of a larger batch. Sure. And so it sat in a secondary tank for um, a week, maybe. And uh, she got ropey all on her own. So wow. we, we inoculated that with our house culture, which of course has PDO um, sure. to kind of stave off that, that excited bit of business. But that's my first uh, sick beer. Really? I've never seen the ropes. And like pouring it off of the tank, it was so snotty and incredible no it's it's thick yeah there i mean uh and what she's talking about is pdo produces a biofilm that makes it look like uh, i hate to use the term snot like or ropiness or you know there's there's a viscosity to what's happening and you can definitely see it as it pours down into the glass so this is really unique uh to kind of see this being poured into a glass normally you see it just in the fermenter um, specifically those of you that have like glass fermenters, you know, you can see that, that PDO sick and it can happen more than once even. Yeah. I mean, it, it can go through this like biofilm and then go away and then another, another round can happen much farther into the process. But this is, well, uh, I, yeah, I definitely, um, Brett at, uh, Brett Ellis at wild beer co they released a beer and I forget the name of it. Um, it might've been back in 2015 that day of release, it got uh, ropey in the draft like they were pouring it out of taps and it was just just pouring yeah absolutely (laughs) and he actually brought me a bottle not too long ago um and i was you know what is this and he told me what it was and i was like okay cool um and we opened it and it was great and he was like yeah when we released that beer we had to pull it off draft immediately wow and i was really jealous because i'd never seen pedia snot and it's uh well, now and you it's have. flesh and I, it's flesh. Well, I, I talked about it in class, but we never really had an example. And so now I've, I've seen it poured into a glass even. Yeah. That's a, I mean, th- that's pretty fun. You're <laughs> no, welcome. No, it's, it's definitely a new experience to drinking it mm-hmm. because there's a, there's a certain, um, I don't know how the French say, je ne sais quoi to it. Sure. There, there's a, vis- I think it's pronounced Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a viscosity that I've not it's still dry, but then it kind of in the back of your mouth, there's like stuff there. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a strange vibe. It's cloying. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. It's dry and cloying. Yeah, it's yeah. dry, but yeah. it's 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 dry and it has like this mouth coating feel, but it finishes still very very dry. But then it's like when you have that post nasal drip, it's kind of hanging out in the back or, uh, of my mouth. Yeah. It's a very strange feeling at this You're point. You're welcome. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That you was still, uh, I was you still have some brandy in your glass. No, I'll uh I'll cleanse my palate once again with brandy. Sure. But uh that being said, what is new for you? What's what else is coming up? What are you excited about in this industry? Um, well, we uh before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about um like hazy IPAs and and what that's doing. Oh, I he is drinking every liquid on the table. That is not <laughs> the case. I'm, um, I'm I'm getting ready to pour you another sample. But I do. I had I had someone um, ask me, uh, kind of the future of yeast, and like as a sour producer, I have a, a very different perspective on what what yeast means to the consumer. Because people who are buying sour beer and drinking sour beer have typically a, a much more in depth understanding of of beer and well an appreciation i'd say yeah uh but i would say for the most part um aside from you know the belgians no one actually we'll we'll just say exclusive to the what is it the 50 nifty united states um continental no one oh, I'm, I'm gonna include hawaii and hawaii alaska. alaska okay fine. uh i don't really what about think puerto that, rico i don't really think that, <laughs> uh, sure so um i don't really think that a lot of consumers um are super interested in what yeast strain you're using to ferment a beer. And I also don't think that label real estate will ever give up any sort of space to, to put that on there. Um, and this was, uh, I guess this was last October and I was actually talking, talking to some Belgian dudes about this. And so they were really offended when I said that yeast needs a rebrand. And I don't really think that, Belgian beer in America can can do that and get people really excited about yeast strains. But I do think hazy IPAs have put yeast strains kind of at the forefront of people's minds. Well, certainly, yeah, because um, they've, they, you know, to keep that haze in the beer, people are like struggling with that in places. Right. And I mean, doing, we were just talking about using apples in beer, doing ridiculous stuff to introduce, you know, pectin at weird points in the brewing process. But um, regardless... Uh, I I feel like the interviewee now. I would love to hear your thoughts on, like, will anyone ever be excited about yeast and beer? Because hops are obviously super sexy. No, no, no. Malt or they've endeared the consumer to kind of the the agriculture of their area. But yeast, like, what do you think? I think that the four microbiologists that graduate uh, each year from university that are excited about it will spread the word. No, so it's funny that you say that there's not a lot of craft beer drinkers that get into sour beers right away. I think, however, that there are people that are very, very excited about wine that could be introduced to beer through that sour aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think the people that are looking and seeking out some of these things, like you said, being educated on a certain topic and and, and the, the evolution of the craft beer drinker has like, and it's not everyone, but it, what we've seen and what I've seen is, you know, people start out by drinking macro lagers because they stole them out of their parents' refrigerator when they were underage. Mm-hmm. It happens, believe it or not. Or someone else's parents' yeah, refrigerator. It, it happens. Um, and then they get into really malty beers or ambers or ESBs or something, something with the, the hop pretty much muted. 
And then they figure out that hops are cool and they drink uh, IPAs and APAs and whatever hot, like more hops, more hops, more hops. And then they get into Belgians, they get into special releases, they get into sours, and then they can come back full circle and appreciate the style of beer for what it is. But Uh, I mean, there's also uh, hazy IPA is still very much alive. I think that there's this romanticized lager movement happening right now that's I, I would agree. awesome I mean, yeah. because it's what we all want to drink uh but i don't think that lagers are going to do anything to make yeast popular no i mean it, yeast what is, can we do what, what can you call do to your make, congressman <laughs> save so what the can yeast, we do to make yeast sexy yeast. uh i i think that as people get more educated about beer and you came to school here. I mean, you know more about yeast than the average person. But I, in the people listening to this podcast, for the most part, are excited about yeast. And they need to express that excitement to other people. So the Belgian, you know, beers you're talking about, that's Saccharomyces cerevisiae or Saccharomyces diastaticus. How fun is that to or say? Or Sactois. Or Sactois, yeah. They have, there's a lot of different, like, ways to bring this up to get other people excited about it. And it's partly due to the education. I think that, and then also, um, I mean, the, you know, like a Lambic and, and trying to reproduce that we're trying to recreate this kind of magical wild yeast harvest that happened in a specific region, which you can't really recreate. You can't, I mean, we, we can try and, and you're recreating it in, you know, in the U S for, for us in essentially Arden, North Carolina, but um, you know, will there ever be like a, a yeast strain that's recognized as like the American wild yeast strain? There, you, I mean, it could you know, happen. like who and and who are we to say, well, this is it? You know, I just I think it's going to. I, be I don't think there's anybody that can say actually this is it. Do you want to you and I now just decide what it is? We could. We, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we rule. Okay. So uh, so one of the things that like we've done here just recently is we've isolated yeast strains out of honey and out of like wild strains from all over the Americas, Central America. And I, I've had the opportunity to look at some really, really crazy strains that make some amazing flavors. But right. who's to say that that one's better than the other one? Because palates are, your palate is, well, and I is mean, first of all, your palate is very, very attuned, very, very uh, delicate and very, very uh, well-versed. Uh, is it just pe- Cal Ale? <laughs> It could be. Is that it? It could be. We're it, already done. That's it. I mean, it, it really could be. How do you, does that make you feel warm and fuzzy? It does because that's I've used that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but that being said, you know, now this London fog and there's some Norwegian yeasts coming out and there's a lot of different strains that people are using and applying to their process that are changing times, flavors, ester production. Oh, yeah. If your beer sells, isn't that your strain? Yeah, absolutely. And so, it, it, I don't, it's hard to... I just like, can you get a shelf talker that says this was, you know, brewed with Vike? You know, it's just not... I don't know. Would I, the consumer even care if you did? I would say that there's a handful of consumers out there now that are understanding that. Yeah. Certainly, the homebrew community has understood this for a long time. Yeast changed the flavor of beer. The homebrew community is probably listening right now. The seven people that listen to this podcast will probably, you being one of them, which yeah. is sweet. But that being said, it's one of those things where I think as people get more educated, and people are getting more educated in this. I'm not sure what I just put in my mouth. 
<laughs> I just wanted to pour you that to see what you thought. We won't, we'll discuss it at some other time. I feel like the discussion about feet getting larger has a lot to do with whatever this is. Well, you just gave me a bunch of PDO, so I wanted to make sure I paid that back. Because <laughs> I'm sure I'm you know, going to experience some things later from the PDO caucus. Uh, probably that, some aromas you're not used to. Well, uh, no, I'm probably used to that. <laughs> But I'm certainly going to experience some things in the lower GI that I normally don't. You'll well, be, I probably do yeah, experience. You'll, yeah, you'll no, be I'll be fine. fine. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll make it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a trained professional. Um, I don't know. So that, that's that been on my mind a lot recently. And like, how can we define, you know, obviously Belgian sour beer is, is world renowned. It's something that, you know, that's a style that came from that area. And, there, and there's how, 500 how can we... different breweries in Belgium or something crazy like that. And so they're all so regional and and so succinct for yeah the water that they have in that region and it's been selected for it's just like making a sourdough culture i can order a sourdough culture from san francisco mm -hmm. within 10 months it's the sourdough from here oh yeah it's going to be natural fauna and flora from here so even if you start with that pure culture if you're not going to re-up that pure culture it's going to work into what we have you know, naturally in the area. Well, and, and I think that that's an important aspect of producing sour beer. You know, like don't, don't fight, don't try to create something that you want, kind of let everything else come together and then just shepherd it along. Well, and it's a blend. Right. And, that, and I that's think the key to all of that stuff. I mean, don't, and it's not a secret by any means. It's that blend that you guys are getting. That's going to be what what everyone is, is experiencing on like the public side of things. Right. And, and I do think that um, as more American brewers are producing sour beer and getting into this uh, as one of the larger producers, definitely nowhere close to the largest in the U S um, it, it is kind of our responsibility to produce these really approachable, not trying to define what American sour beer is, nor do you but, need to. But we, you know, we want people to try it and then get interested in the style. Um, and, and, and like I said, like the evolution of the craft drinker, I think that there are people seeking this stuff out and getting other people around them as excited about it as possible. And education is going to be key to keep the sour movement growing. I just think people are going to get so bored hearing me talk about it. It's not going to happen. <laughs> It's just not going to happen. Yeah, let's. We'll but so. it's not because you know there's always going to be a new generation that tries to learn and tries to discover. That's what I love about twenty one year olds, they stay the they same, stay the same age. age. Uh, thank you, Matthew. <laughs> you can come on the podcast anytime. I'm sure because he's he has his own brand of wild turkey. Dude, we could do a collab. Yeah, you could get some long. I think it's called Longhorn or Long Ranch or something like that. He has his own brand. He's in a, 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 a wild turkey, like not only a brand ambassador, but he's like a, an official taster. I feel like it's a conflict of interest with Lincoln. Drink responsibly. <laughs> Does he still advertise for that? I have no idea because it would be like, and <laughs> nor do we promote Lincoln or wild turkey in any way on this podcast. You're not associated. Because they are not paying me to talk <laughs> about them. So bleh. No, I'm kidding. Uh, if Wild Turkey wants to call me and give me a bunch of bourbon, I'm good with that. And if anybody wants to give me a Lincoln, I'm good with that as well. <laughs> that being said, I won't mix those two because I, I do things responsibly uh, for the most part. Yeah, but um, 
Anyway, little tangent, soapbox for the podcast audience. No, and it, it, uh, that's appreciative because it is. It's the uniqueness of the strain that re- people don't realize specifically in wine and you know distillates, 25% of the flavor or more in wine even is coming from the yeast that's selected. Yeah. And I think the, the natural wine movement is going to do a lot for yeast. I mean, it's it's nothing that the that, craft community is is kind of contributing to at this point, other than I drink a lot of it. But um, natural but that's, wine, that's I, research. I think, it's not even something you want to do. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's for, like you do sure. it for learning more about your craft. Yeah. But I, I do think, um, I mean, any sort of inclusion of natural yeast and and trying to make fermentation a little bit more interesting um, is welcome. I just don't think the consumer cares about it. But natural wine will help. I, I think hazy the, IPAs and natural wine. <laughs> but I think the consumer is getting more educated about that. And, yeah. and I wouldn't say that they don't care. It's that the education is coming, and some of the ones that are seeking out some of these dynamic and unique things will care, and that will only spread. Yeah, I do think though. Um, hype around sour beer has decreased in America. I would agree. Uh, it, I it, it's always it's the New England style IPAs here right now. But what's next? Everyone's yeah. saying session stuff or session craft stuff lagers. had its moment like four years ago. People are still making bring them. bring back the blonde stout. <laughs> <laughs> the blonde stout. <laughs> uh, but no, I I was out. Um, I was out at Jester King this past year. It was December for their spontaneous release. Mm-hmm. And I was there. And Explain spontaneous. So, for people that don't so know. spontaneous, we've just been talking about all these wild yeast. So excellent uh, segue there. Um, but spontaneous beer is, is really um, kind of capturing a time and a place in a beverage uh, as best as we can. So you, you do this incredible, ridiculous uh, mash regime where... Um, you're, I think that we actually took ours to three steps. Good gravy. We're three steps. We started out with four, but, um, we're, we're essentially, we want like really turbid, milky protein heavy mash. Um, and then we're using like the, the entire base for this beer is, is a lot of Pilsner. So a lot of DMS, um, and then wheat. So we'll end up boiling this beer for... A lot of sulfides, a lot of proteins, a lot of... So we'll boil this beer for three hours to try and and drive off. Exactly. Um, And then instead of running that through a heat exchanger, it just goes straight down our pipe fence into uh, the cool ship. And so cool ship is just a large um, vat. A bathtub, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Like a very strangely shaped bathtub. Yeah. It'll sit in there overnight uh, and come down to, um, I'll say, ambient temp uh, in the morning. And so over that kind of 12-hour, I almost said 12-year, takes a long time to make, (laughs) not that long. Over that 12-hour resting period, uh, it's inoculated by wild yeast and bacteria that are floating around in the air that night. Um, And so a lot of your finished product has to do with what time of year, what weather condition, um, and obviously where you are. So... It, it's a way for us to really capture the terroir of Western North Carolina. <laughs> oh, fancy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so it'll, it'll then sit in oak for, for us. We're like doing a traditional goose blend. Obviously, we can't call it that, but it's it's a blend of three-year-old, two-year-old, and one-year-old stock. Oh, wow. So it takes a very long time to, to make this product, and that's not 
to say that you can't produce spontaneous beer. I mean, Black Project is knocking everything out into their cool ship. And then after, you know, it's it's overnight rest, then they'll pitch their house culture into it. So there's there's a lot of interpretation going on within well, sour producers in the U.S. right now. There's a ton um, of variation. Right. And, yeah. and I think it's awesome. I mean, yeah. Allagash is crushing the cool ship game. They have been for for years. years. Uh, so so we're, we're just now beers. there. We um, wrapped up our fourth spontaneous season last week. Uh, and so we're packaging our first three-year-old, two-year-old, and one-year-old blend right now. Wow. Um, which is, I mean, it's been great. So we're on, uh, one, two, we're packaging blend three right now and bottling all of it. I have some cool blisters right now. From the bottle? From, from bottling. Wow. Uh, but, but I was out at Jester King for their first, I mean, it's what I consider to be the first like true American Lambic. Um, sure. Like being able to release that three-year-old, two-year-old, one-year-old blend, knowing that it was produced in the most traditional, true-to-style way possible. So I, I was out there for their initial release, which was in November of 2016, I think. Um, and that also happened to be uh, Red Atrial, which was a collaboration that Wicked Weed and Jester King did. Uh, we were releasing that that weekend, so synergy. Um, <laughs> so we were out there, and the line of people coming to get beer that day. I mean, this was, you know, a monumental occasion. It's a big deal. Uh, was all the way outside of their property lines at the time. So so people are interested. People, well, this is in 2016. So when I was out there in December of 2018, um, I would say the wait to get through the line to get beer kind of fluctuated all day, but it was never more than maybe an hour. But it was still a lot. There was still a line all day. Just, a, I mean, sometimes there'd be no line. Sometimes there'd be but a little... But people were maybe a little bit uh, more educated about when to come to show up for the Maybe, line. maybe. Or, you know... But but I do think, uh, like, the hype is kind of... The hype has diminished a little bit. Okay. Um, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that it's giving American sour producers a lot more kind of wiggle room to produce things that are a little older probably they're not such like in a ramped up sure yeah like and they're they're not having to to produce these brands specifically for consumers you know like yep. okay I, I can do these smaller batch things and and really kind of delve into what my house culture is what these flavors can be what sort of you know things we can produce as a byproduct of that house culture metabolism exactly okay um and i think that's going to be killer for American well, I, sour well beer. And, that, and for people that are fans of sour beer, that's a good thing. Right. That's going to make everything super unique to each brewery as you guys are allowed to let things run amok, so to speak. Yeah. And I mean, with with our producing these massive, uh, well, for us, massive, I know four out of the seven people listening, it's probably <laughs> 200 barrels isn't a lot to you. Um, or or, or it's, it's the most beer they've ever the seen in their life. Ever yeah. seen. But uh Producing those large batches means that we have a little bit more room to do smaller batch stuff. Sure. Uh, and we've definitely been brewing more blending stock, which is something that we'll either touch or not touch, depending on how it goes, but it is experimentation for us. Um, so whether that's just through water chemistry or we did like a really, really heavy uh, dextrin grist bill. Um, sure. Because, I mean, it takes Brett a while to eat that too. Yep. Uh, and they'll so, eat everything. Yeah, Brett uh, finds a way. <laughs> I feel like I need to yes, change. Th- I need to like pose for that. Uh, but you yeah, need a so, shirt that says so that. we've done we've done a like 
smaller blending projects, whether that's for specific accounts. It's been something that I think has been really exciting for us to see what ingredients are really, you know, fruitful, for lack of a better term, to to work with and with our beer, what works and what doesn't. Uh, so yeah, we've I've spent a lot of time in Asian markets recently trying to figure out what I can put in beer. Cool. Yeah, it's fun. I would also recommend uh, Latino markets as well. Yeah. A lot of stuff from Central America, South oh, America. Yeah. Uh, the Beleche like, would be an inspiration, that type of mead that we talked about a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I would be happy to uh, <laughs> to go to Central America and find stuff for you and bring it back. Thank you. Yeah. What a sacrifice. Well, caring is sharing. Yeah. And I can't thank you enough, Jen, for being here. Yeah. Well, cheers. Thanks for having me. What the hell am I drinking? <laughs> we'll talk about it in a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so once again, I'd like to thank Danny McConnell from McConnell Farms for uh, sponsoring the podcast and certainly donating everything that he's uh, donated. The peach juice that we actually turned into brandy that we drank on air was uh, was one of uh, Danny McConnell's uh, peach farm, his juice that he freshly pressed. So thanks to him and thanks to Jen and Wicked Weed for allowing you to be here. Uh, I appreciate you stopping by and you're the best. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Cheers. You're bye. okay. Bye. Well, okay, bye. <laughs>